1: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast for the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host Rich Faye and it already seems weird to say the Manchester <laughs> is Red podcast after what happened last night. Samuel's giggling away. Tyrone, you're here as well. Both of you were at Old Trafford last night. Wow, where do we begin with that one? United absolutely humiliated at home against Man City. Convincing win for Pep Guardiola's side. It was 3-1 in the end. Uh, after the game Bernardo Silva said it could have been five at half time it really could have been six or seven last night by full time couldn't it Samuel?
2: It, it could have uh, it's, it's difficult not to go off on a, like a Mark Kermode style rant about how appalling United were I, I suppose the context you've got to put in it was Harry Maguire was injured and however unremarkable he's been for United you can see why they signed an £80 million defender regardless of who they were what their reputation was the two main midfielders weren't available. Uh, that's about it in terms of the context and even even those three I don't think would have made a great deal of difference. Um, City's approach was innovative, taking Jesus and Aguero out of the team. I think that really did throw United. They didn't really know how to how to handle Silva and De Bruyne who were kind of like, I mean, in terms of formation, it was like a 4-3-4 uh, the way they were going about it in that they, they didn't have a figurehead. They didn't need a figurehead. They just pulled United all over the place. De Bruyne sent Phil Jones heading towards the tunnel. Phil Jones probably should have stayed in the tunnel rather than coming coming out from it for the, for the game. And however much sympathy I have with Solskjaer, he was the one who told us in Perth that Andreas Pereira would start 20-odd games this season. Pereira is neither a midfielder nor a playmaker. Um... A couple of us, when we had to do our panel, did select Pereira and Fred as the midfield. And I did add the caveat that Gary Neville had said after the Sheffield United fiasco that Fred and Pereira is not a midfield. And I don't disagree with him. But the alternative was Nemanja Matic. And I think City would have danced around him had he started the game, even though he did quite well coming on. Uh, Jesse Lingard is just risible. And if, if United had anyone at the club with any, any balls, really, they would tell him, you've made your position perfectly clear, with your alliance with Mina Raiola who's an agent who said he doesn't want to bring players to United go out there uh, negotiate a contract with a, another club tell the club this is how much we want for you and you can go this month or you can go in the summer you're not playing again and we don't think you're good enough they, someone should just do that with him because he isn't good enough he, he's had he's had decent spells he's had good spells in the past but he's been playing poorly for the best part of 18 months it, he's had raging World Cup hangover Phil Jones is, is just the most egregious example of the United contract strategy whereby this time last year he'd approached the last six months on his deal United had the option to keep him for another year so they could have tied him to the club until 2020 what happens? Matthew Judge gets on the phone to Phil Jones' representatives and said, uh, says we'd like to give him a, a new four and a half year contract there was no rhyme or reason for that whatsoever that is just endemic of a football club without a football figurehead And you can't pin that one on Solskjaer, really. He was a caretaker for six weeks at the time of of Jones' renewal when it was announced. Victor Lindelof, uh, how they gave him a new contract, I don't know. Yes, he had a good season, but just because his agent fabricates some interest from Barcelona that they're in for him, you don't say, oh, we must give him a new contract. A director of football would say, look, OK, he's contracted to us until 2021. He's got the option of a plus one, so he's effectively here until 2022. There's no rush whatsoever to give him a new contract, and let's actually make him earn a contract by playing well the next season. What's happened is, they give him a new contract, and he gets comfortable, he gets complacent, and he was ridiculed last night. Um, there's no point mentioning Pogba; that's that's been done to death. He was he was irrelevant. He wasn't playing. It's just a squad laden with has-beens and never gonna be's, and United haven't done anything well anywhere near enough about it and the recruitment strategy, however proud they felt about that, it was too slow, uh, it was unfulfilling. I mean, Solskjaer said last night about the inter-interest in, in Ashley Young, who I really don't think United should be selling this month because he's still probably their most stable left-back. Solskjaer said, we cannot weaken ourselves. Well, Fellaini went, Herrera went, a midfielder didn't come in, Lukaku went, a striker didn't come in just however much they feel they've nailed recruitment they haven't the structure's just not right still and nobody seems to be doing anything about it there were people there in the director's box last night that shouldn't have been there just for the case of appearances Marcel Bout head of global scouting he should have been out and about atoning for his appalling hit rate that he oversaw with Louis van Gaal Matt Judge they say is at the coalface touching base with agents to see which clients are aligned with United's signing strategy He was sat next to Woodward last night looking very, very awkward when, uh, unfortunately for them, the cameras homed in on the pair of them with the scoreline at 3-0. Yeah, speaking of people in the director's box, Wayne Rooney probably would have started for United last night. Yeah, he would have. it would have been an upgrade on some of them. He really would have. Tyrone,
1: I guess after the game... Yeah, call I (laughs) a (laughs) day. I guess the question (laughs) to you, Tyrone, is after the game, the reaction, particularly from what I saw on social media, there's obviously people directing their anger at different people. There's quite a lot of the... uh, All the out brigade were were vocal and and they had the platform after a defeat like that to maybe voice their opinions louder than usual. But how much of an impact do you think Solskjaer had in the result last night? Do you think it was just he's playing a squad and that's the best he's got at his disposal, or do you think think his tactics were were wrong as well?
0: His tactics weren't great. I think United would probably have lost that game with that squad. That have lost that game with almost any manager in the world in charge of them because they're just you know the squad's nowhere near good enough as Samuel says. Tactically, I, I don't think he got it particularly spot on and we you know now he hasn't got a plan B the, there's, a, there's a plan A for United to play on the counter attack when that's not working there isn't really a, a plan B City created a plan B Kevin De Bruyne said it took them 15 minutes to create a plan B and, and look how well it worked the tore United apart in the first half and for the last it, when it became obvious what was happening in that first half for the last 15 minutes Charles was sat in the dugout discussing with his coaches what they're going to do but that in that 15 minutes the game got away from them it was 2-0 and then 3-0 and the tie's done, the tie's dead, it's too late. And I mean I I disagree on the match points. I think he should have started. And I think it was I think it was obvious within within twenty, twenty-five minutes, I was calling for Matic to come on because it was obvious what United's issue was in that Bernardo and De Bruyne were both kind of playing as false nines. One minute Bernardo was collecting the ball from Bravo, the next he's creating a chance or, or putting a chance away. He was all over the place. No one no one in that midfield or that defence was taking control. And knowing how to deal with that approach, there was no direction coming from the dugout in how to deal with that approach. Fred and Pereira, I mean, Pereira is not a, a defensive midfielder. What is he in your eyes? I mean, he's an average footballer, isn't he? Um, he's probably a, a creative, midfield, <coughs> creative midfielder, great midfielder, an attacking midfielder, but he's not. I mean, he's not good enough for this. He shouldn't be good enough for this squad, but unfortunately, he is. You certainly can't play him in a midfield, a deep midfield with Fred. Fred's a deep-lying playmaker. Who can help you build attacks, but he needs to be playing alongside a proper defensive midfielder. You basically had two players trying to play the role of a deep line playmaker against the likes of De Bruyne and Bernardo. I mean, they were they were never they never stood a chance. So I think, you know, I, I would have got Matic on as soon as it became obvious what City's approach was here. And at least then you've got a proper defensive midfielder and someone who knows how to organise things in there and knows, you know, someone could can bring a bit of leadership to that area of the pitch and just say, right you know, Phil Jones, when he moves here, you do this and just just bring some cohesion to it because United didn't have a clue how to deal with that approach in the first half and by the time they worked it out at half-time it was too late and they did improve after the break and I think they got a better grip of of what Sicky's approach was after the break, but it was too late.
1: I guess if there's one moment that summed it all up it was De Bruyne leaving (laughs) Phil Jones on his backside and then the ball ricocheting off Pereira into the back of the net Uh, but Samuel, I've seen on social media as well this morning people are... they're not not sure. Do you blame Phil Jones for a bad performance, or the fact that he's not good enough? Do you know what I mean? Is uh, he Phil Jones played maybe just as Phil Jones played last night? Do you know what I mean? It wasn't maybe yes. even a particular. It, it
2: was it was a but, complete performance apart from him offering an own goal. Um, his selection was necessitated. I mean, Solskjaer has has really has, has tried not to play him as much as possible since that Sheffield United fiasco. I think he he'd had twenty two minutes against Altmar, That was it. At the weekend, it was clear that Maguire was injured before half-time at Wolves, and, and Jones didn't come on. Um, it was only, you know, it was it was needs must. That was the reason why he played. But United gave him a new contract, and it, it isn't really his fault that he's not good enough. He he's, he's had decent spells, but this is a player who, next year, is eligible for a testimonial if he's at United. And... I mean, he has unfortunately for him, he has become a figure of fun. He ended the game chasing Riyad Mahrez's shadow and, and injured himself. It, it, it went beyond parody. Um, I've not really got much time or sympathy for him, um, from a personal perspective since uh, I, I can pretty much say it now, but he, he took umbrage with something I said about him, which was fairly yeah, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was criticism of him, but unfortunately. He is that thin-skinned. He is too thin-skinned to be a United player. I've got a lot of time, however bad he's been recently, for someone like Luke Shaw, because no no United player takes as much stick as Shaw for uh, whether it's people deriding his weight, the, the amount of times uh, Pepe went past him last week, the number of times Mourinho threw him under the bus, all that. But he's, he... I, 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 and I mean this in a figurative sense. He has got thick skin. And he does keep on going. There's a bit of resilience about him. Players like Phil Jones and Jesse Lingard, it does tend to be the British players. Um, Johnny Emmons is another from another blast from the past. They are thin skinned. It's almost as if their entourage is around them. Tell them how great they are. Uh, I mean, a bit of a different example, um, who I haven't had an issue with, but I'm just taking off his cue. But Dean Henderson's posted that quote about uh, "Surround yourself." Uh, by people who see greatness in you, and you shouldn't. You should be surround yourself by people who are telling critics. you, who are going to keep you, um, knock you down a peg, to keep you, um, to keep, lend perspective. But so many of these players, and it is mainly British players, get a sense of um, you know sense of entitlement, think they're great, they're told they're great. So when there's an ounce of criticism, it's oh my God, what what the hell is this? And they go crying off to someone about it. You cannot do that, United. You really can't. Um, the, there's the famous uh, anecdote of David Beckham, and Gary Neville, holding up how many, um, ha, what what player rating David Beckham should have had after Stuart Matheson gave him a six out of ten, something like that. They were driving past him on the motorway, and they were holding up like ten. That that's pretty much the only example back then. But it was a very very different. Um, that that was that was almost like a, an anomaly, really. That United side, they take criticism. They they knew they deserved. They knew what they would get it if they if they lost a game. With these United players, I mean, it, it, it is a bit of a snowflake generation in a sense, and that, that is that is a generational thing, and it's very difficult to manage that at times. But Chances as modern a, football, it, it is yeah, and it, and United are, are not the exception to the rule. There, um, it's just it just so happens that they're the biggest club. In, in the country, and when things go wrong, they're the ones who are going to get it in the neck. I mean, I'm sure there are players at Chelsea and Arsenal. What well, we've seen it at Arsenal, who who don't like criticism, and and it gets out and um, things like that. But as I said, there are too many players at United that just do not have the required mentality. McTominay, he has limitations. We know that, but he's had quite a good season. I think and Fred I get, and I get, I get, as well. Last McTom- night. McTominay is another player who, that, from what I've been told can be quite thin skinned but he's actually the way he went about it was that he searched his name on the internet looking for criticism and he actually took it on board and he's he's channeled off he's channeled that to become a better player he's an example of someone who has got the right mentality that United need to become competitive again uh, w- williams you know he put himself about last night but he's he looks like what he is he's he's a, he's a 19 year old who's had 10 career starts and it was a little bit cruel, I guess, it, it, in, in a way that he had the um, he had the misfortune of coming up against a City side that had arguably 10, ten playmakers coming up mm. against that United defence. Tyrone, it really is hard to maybe put this on the spectrum just how bad it
1: was last night, but in terms of since Solskjaer took over, how... Low, do you think last night was in terms? I mean, defeat at Everton was worse, Watford mm. defeat was worse, but it was the fact that United are totally outclassed at home by City. That
0: they were, yeah, they were, but they've been outclassed at home by City in previous years as well. I don't think that's anything new. And, you know, Manchester City have won back to back Premier League titles with 198 points, so I don't think it's any great surprise that this Manchester United squad are being outclassed by Manchester City. I think there's been worse performances. I mean, Solskjaer said it was the worst they played this season in the first half. And it was, you know, it was...
1: Do you, do you agree with that then? Or,
0: um, or do you think that's what you've got to say after a Derby defeat? I think he's probably list? got to say it. Maybe this season, yeah. I think they've certainly played worse under him. I mean, Ever- you won't get worse than Everton. Or you shouldn't, you shouldn't get worse than Everton. And that wasn't as I'm bad be, as Everton. I'll be playing that clip in a few weeks' time. <laughs> yeah. You've got to put the opposition into context as well. And City were, City were absolutely sensational in the first half last night. The biggest issue for United was that they had no idea how to counteract that. That was their their biggest problem. For ten minutes, when United were on the front foot, they actually looked threatening. They got in behind Mendy and not to Mendy a couple of times, and for ten minutes there was signs of positivity. Then City's system clicked into gear, and they just couldn't they couldn't get the ball back, and that was the biggest the biggest issue for them. They were they were taught a lesson in that first half, and it, as it became clear they didn't have a response, they they wilted because they didn't know what they were doing. There was no. There was no on-field leadership or on-field direction in how to correct it, so they just wilted. You saw it from De Gea's, De Gea's kicking getting increasingly wayward. Players losing possession, they didn't know how to, to how to fix that system.
2: I think Sheffield United away in the first half was probably worse mm. just in the context mm. of you are coming up against a promoted side and, I mean, they were clueless. It was They were so hopeless and it was pretty much a one-man defence. De Gea kept shoved United at bay until they finally scored but I suppose where United won at the Etihad last month and where that victory feels so current people expected better from mm-hmm. them yeah. but ultimately City are a phenomenal team, just about every every one of those uh, forwards would be the talisman at United if, if they were at United and it, for, for that basis alone it, that's why it's probably got the I suppose the, the worst thing about it was that there was a period last night where watching it, it was like watching a Year 7 team against the Year 13s. The, the chasm was that bad.
1: Tyrone, uh, in recent weeks we've seen United beat Burnley, beat Newcastle, but now they've lost to City, lost to Arsenal. It's almost like a raw reversal of what United have been good at. We used to give them credit and say they're always good against the big sides and poor against the smaller sides. Hmm. but the fact that that's almost changed completely on its head, what, what do you think that tells you about the credit that <laughs> side? Do you think it is just because of the injury crisis and it's...
0: I just just think they're so they so like they're just so inconsistent, aren't they? And just you know, infuriating to watch. And th- I mean, the, f- the fact that it's turned, it's almost comical, really, the fact that it's turned on the head. You looked at those Burnley and Newcastle games with that wretched record of one win in twelve, and they had more of the ball, playing the nineteenth and twentieth teams for average possession in the Premier League, and you thought they're in trouble here. They win both, they play well, then they play games that are supposed to suit them, and suddenly it's these games that they're rubbish in. You know, for a team just to perform such a dramatic turnaround like that, it just it just sums up this United. You just do not know what you are going to get from one week to the next, and they just every time it looks like they've turned a corner or got some momentum, it, it just evaporates from them. Like those wins against Burnley and Newcastle, you go to Arsenal and play like that, and now we've had Arsenal, Wolves, and City, and, and the momentum again has is, is all gone. And that's that. I mean, that's just been the biggest failing. This season, really. Anytime it's looked like they're building up some momentum, some head of steam, they are just thrown an absolute shocker and they're just riddled with inconsistency.
1: Turning, <coughs> sorry, turning corners but going around in circles, United, at the moment. Samuel, this question might have another rant coming from you because who is to blame for United's current issues, do you think? Let me just get a coffee. <laughs> 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 who is to blame? It's an open-ended question. I guess the thing is there's always going to be lots of contributing factors, but ultimately...
2: Uh, there's not one specific person Uh, the Glazer family are to blame Sir Alex Ferguson is to blame Ed Woodward is to blame Uh, David Moyes is Lou Van Gaal is Jose Mourinho is but the three main ones would be uh, sorry the two main ones I suppose are the Glazers and and Woodward Ferguson, the two biggest mistakes in his his professional life uh, were getting into the Cornwall dispute over the stud rights for Rock of Gibraltar, which eventually led to United being taken over in 2005 by the Glazer family. And of course, while he was there, certainly in his last last four years, the, the tap was turned off. It Suddenly it was all there was all this spill about no value in the market and United stopped signing midfielders. But because they had an absolute freak of a manager, they won two titles from these last four seasons and I think they only lost the league in those other two seasons on goal difference and by one point so when he bequeathed Moyes that squad uh, it was a squad that punched above its weight and it was a squad that I mean he was the only manager who could have won the league in 2013 with that squad then he made the mistake of choosing someone like Moyes over Mourinho because Moyes was Scottish and had stayed with a British club for over 10 years, this blinkered antiquated thinking Moyes was out of his depth, that wasn't Necessarily his fault, um, and he had the misfortune of, you know, of Woodward being his boss for that period, and that's, I mean, that that transfer window was like a, a supermarket sweep style dash on deadline day. They were just so desperate and amateurish. Uh, they were played like a fiddle by Ces Fàbregas, and they've never really properly recovered from that summer. Um, you get onto Van Gaal, and I think that United have been so burned by how by van Gaal's poor hit rate, in that he signed six players in each of his summer transfer windows, that they now don't want to get rid of loads of players and sign loads of players, which is probably what they need to do this summer. So they could come full circle again. With Mourinho, again, the hit rate was not good in terms of the signings, but he wasn't backed in that final transfer window when you don't back the manager and you go against the manager and undermine the manager so publicly, um, as they did, not on the record, but it was clear that they they'd undermined him, not backed him. You know how that's going to end. And there's not been any real accountability there. So the Glazers, yep, they turned the tap off last summer. Um, sorry, not, the, not last summer, but certainly the 2018 window when they spent just over £70 million on, on three players, one of which was a third-choice goalkeeper. Uh, Woodward's role has changed now, but he is the common denominator in six or seven years of largely failure. Uh, he was the one who flew off on an easy jet to Barcelona to see if Neymar would join United. He was the one who was led down the garden path by Sergio Ramos and um, Ces Fabregas, as I said earlier. And in terms of Solskjaer, uh, I've, I've thought it for a while, but I, I don't think he's up to it. I don't think he's the right man. Um, again, it's not his fault that Manchester United appointed the manager of Molde, thinking that he could be the, the man to take on Pep Guardiola and... And Jurgen Klopp, for three months, it, it looked like he, he could be. There, there were those signs there. Unfortunately, that just looked like a, a prolonged honeymoon period. So Solskjaer is, a, it, Solskjaer is a problem. His management is a problem. He has no plan B. It, he looked stumped last night by what Guardiola did, which again was tactical brilliance. It was, tactical, it, it was en- innovative. But he's been put in that position. And I suppose the, the one I do feel... Uh, sorry for an, an awful lot at the moment is um, our esteemed colleague Jamie Jackson who's written a biography of Solskjaer which has the blurb about how, he's the, how he might be the saviour of Manchester United and unfortunately for Jamie his book comes out in, uh, in April I think it's still about three months away and mm. uh, I didn't tell him but someone on Twitter to, uh, made him aware that David Moyes of course was sacked in April <laughs> Well that could be a very poignant time we should <laughs> wait and see yeah. um, <laughs> Torone, your chance to speak now just finish
1: me coffee as well. You've already hinted at it, but I was going to ask this, and we saw the United result at the Etihad in December. Yeah, Solskjaer said the tie's not over. He alluded to PSG. Pep Guardiola is a mountain to climb. Mountain to their. Mountains Rich. Which is my motto as well in life, but for a different reason. I mean, factually, factually you do literally climb mountains. Literally climb mountains. Uh, and Pep Guardiola said the tie's not over because it is Manchester United. But your point of view. Um, What do you think is going to happen here? Do you think there is a chance United can still get to the Carabao
0: final? I think the tie is over because it's Manchester United. It's Manchester United of 2019-20, not Manchester United of 1999-2000. Ergo, the tie is over. They're not going to win... If they win 2-0 at Old Trafford, uh, if they win 2-0 at the Etihad, they only get some extra time, I think, and then they'd go out and away goals at the end. So they've got to score three goals at the Etihad to, to go through. And... I mean, yeah, they, they could have done that last month. They yeah. could have done that last month, you're right. Um, but it, it looked last night like Guardiola had learned his lessons from that and it looked like Solskjaer just thought United could do the same thing and that City would be as naive again. I did the City game at, at the weekend against Port Vale and Guardiola was asked about United and what he'd expect from United um, after that game. And he was, asked, he was basically asked that you showed against Leicester you'd you changed their deal with counter-attacking teams, you're expecting a very different game to the league game at the Etihad. And Pep said, no, no, it'll be very similar. And as soon as he was saying it, I thought, come off it, mate. You know, you don't get to where you are by doing exactly the same thing I twice. I guess
1: the point was, it was very similar, because United didn't change their tactics, but City did change theirs.
0: Yeah, true. But Pep was saying, it's going to be very similar. You can't stop what United yeah. do at pace and, and things like that. And as he was saying it, it felt like a... You know, it felt like there was a smile bursting to get through his lips and there was a sucker punch coming and, and sure enough, there was. I just don't see how... I don't. I, I mean, the, the game situation is different to the league game at the Etihad as well because we're not starting from nil-nil here. We're starting where United have got to score three goals. So City can afford to be a little bit more cautious in, in the way they set up. And I just think they've learned from... They've learned from that league game at the Etihad and I don't think they'll, they'll play the same way and I'm not sure United have got Another approach to to score three goals. I mean, that, that PSG tie was a total one-off. It was the very end, like the last night of Solskjaer's honeymoon, basically, wasn't it? And
1: go out on a band,
0: yeah, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> <The> honeymoon approach, <laughs> indeed. Yes, the memorable last night, uh, and you know, it, it was a, a memorable, a memorable night. But as soon as as soon as they got back to Manchester, the the arguments have started and. Things have, you know, things have gone horribly wrong and the honeymoon, you know, the romance of the last night seems a long time ago now, doesn't it? And I just can't, I can't see how this United would possibly overturn a two-goal deficit away at City.
1: Three weeks' time, we will know the answer to that. But uh, it seems rather poignant that 20 years ago today, United also lost 3-1. Vasco da Gama oh. in the, yeah. Mm, yeah. The Club World, World Championship. World World Championship. 50%. they sacrificed the FA Cup that year, they might not have any choice in sacrificing it this year and yeah. they <laughs> play the <rules> next week. <laughs> but uh, 20 years on... I've got a horrible question, which I think only Samuel will have a chance in. After the break, I'll be asking you, who was on the United bench when they lost to Vasco da Gama? 3-1. We'll be back just after this. Hello, and welcome back to the Manchester is Red podcast. Just before the break, we asked Samuel and Tyrone. It's 20 years since United lost to Vasco da Gama in the Club World Cup, but who was on the bench that day? There were 11 <laughs> players. Who wants to go first? We'll do it one in order. I've, Samuel's got a clear advantage in this, Tyrone, but you might get a couple. Uh,
0: Jonathan Greenham?
1: Yes. Yeah. Samuel? Mark Wilson? Correct. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, two out of 11 so far. Hmm. There are
0: some, some big hitters as well. So Ronnie Johnson? I mean, I no
1: said big injured. hitters, but no, he was, he was injured, not. wasn't he? Was he injured?
2: Team News from 20 years ago. Raymond van der Gaal? Correct. Oh, of course, Van der Haar, Quinton Fortune. Correct. Oh,
0: yes. Phil
2: Neville.
0: No. Gary Neville. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, Gary Neville had Gary a shocker, didn't he? Edmundo against, uh, Edmundo oh,
2: and Romario. Course, yeah. yeah. Uh, Solskjaer. No. Sheringham. Correct. There's two more big
1: big hitters. I'd say on the bench. Cole. Cole. Yeah of a big is not such a big hitter now I think about it, but he was a big big player. Dennis Irwin? No. Uh
2: Stam. No, he'd have started. Another defender But Cruyff,
1: Cruyff, Cruyff. yes.
2: Cruyff.
1: We've got four more, from my knowledge, a keeper, two defenders and a midfielder.
0: I can gonna
1: say Rich Hubka, yeah. Huh. What are the other positions? I believe I two know. defenders and a <laughs> midfielder. Silvestre? No. Two defenders in a midfielder. Berg? Correct. Oh. This is almost as tedious as last night's performance. This is, is yeah.
2: Uh, I don't know. I, 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 go on. No. Higginbottom? Oh, yeah. Um, Danny Higginbottom. Wal- Ronnie Woolwork. Uh, Ronnie Woolwork. Uh, Was he a midfielder?
0: Yes. Yeah, he could play he both. Could play defense, he? he could play in defence, couldn't he? Those two
2: came as a pair back then after the um, Royal Antwerp uh, Oh, yeah, the loop. fiasco where they, I think they were accused of assaulting a ref and were banned for football from life, but it was it was overturned.
1: And now look what David Danny Higginbottom's gone to achieve. What yeah, I you know. I know. Uh, yeah, here we are, second half. Let's forget about the derby. January transfer window. Almost a quarter of the way through January. United still haven't signed Sancho, Werner, Harland. What's Emre happening? Chan,
2: Sean Longstaff. What's happening? I mean, when, when someone at United was... Um, when Longstaff was mentioned to them by uh, a colleague on Friday, th- the reaction they gave was as if Longstaff was yesterday's news, which I can understand given that I think that it, it did feel like in the summer that ship had sailed when Newcastle quoted United £50 million pounds and then United thought, OK, we'll, we'll end it there. Uh, Chan's agent has been hawking him about Europe that that just always seemed like a non-starter. I think apparently he was bracketed the same as Manzukic, and I think with Manzukic in the summer, it was almost as if United were kind of not playing that up as such, but making people aware that there was there was some interest there just for the sake of appearances, because again, he, he was not he's not a player aligned with Solskjaer's strategy and of course Banjukic didn't play for the events this season before he went off to Qatar Chan was the other major name who wasn't named in their Champions League squad but I suppose there's always that what I call the corridor of uncertainty that United could go for a player just because they're attainable and given what Solskjaer said a while back about possible loan deals which was the only time he mentioned loan deals in January you might have looked at Chan and thought okay a loan deal might might be Logical there, well, not logical, but doable. Again, I really wouldn't be surprised if United don't sign anyone this month. In terms of the Ashley Young interest, uh, in, Inter Milan want to sign him now. Conte tried to sign him on deadline day in 2017, which was that weird window when Chelsea were looking at players like was it Ashley Barnes. Ashley Crouch was linked, wasn't yes, it, Peter yeah, Crouch, it was yes, Peter Crouch, yeah. Um, but Young at the time was. I think at the end, United just pulled the plug on it and he went on to have um, one of his best seasons for United. certainly played the most, I think. Uh, but as Solskjaer said, they cannot, they cannot weaken themselves. So if you, the irony of it all is that Young, of course, plays at left-back quite a lot. And United communicated to us in late November in Astana that they'd abandoned plans to, to sign a left-back on the strength of Williams' performances and Shaw was fit again. But you still look at Ashley Young, who, although he's 34, in many ways, he's still the most stable left-back United have and, and possibly the most athletic. So I, I really think that it's not worth selling him unless into to offer silly money. Uh, I have my doubts they'll do that. You might as well just let him go at the end of the season and then you strengthen the position there. But they've still oper- they have still They still maintain, like if the right players are available, we'll go for them. I suppose if they offered 85 million pounds for James Madison. He he would become available all of a sudden. Sometimes the onus is on the buyers to to make that move, but very few. The reality is very few big players do move clubs in January. Alexis Sanchez was uh, was you know an exception a couple of years ago purely because of his contract situation. Philip Coutinho in the same month was close to joining Barcelona. Some months earlier, Barcelona were prepared to stump up nine figures and and they got him but that apart from those two there aren't many major names that that really jump out of you that you can that you can think of no Mkhitaryan went in that month and Obamiang I suppose was another example but did he have six months left in his contract Dortmund think he might have as well so it's those are the instances where those kind of deals usually happen and Solskjaer himself, there was a possibility they, that United wouldn't sign anyone this month, which I, I genuinely do think could could cost him his job sooner or later. They they absolutely do need players, because going into Norwich at the weekend, if Toon Zibi isn't fit, if Phil Jones is the only available centre-half to partner Lindelof, I think there are a lot of United fans that would rather see Ted and Mengi or Dejan Bernard come in, and they'd rather see James Garner come into midfield for, for Andreas Pereira. And united to be in that position given the amount they spent in the summer even though they missed out on two priority targets they still spent the most out of any premier league club and if you factor in the net spend it was about 60 odd million pounds it, it's just it only it, it could only happen to them as mm-hmm. i think ty said it last night about the centre half situation they could only only they could have six centre halves or seven centre halves at the start of the season and come january they'd have one fit one available and, of course, Chris Morley, unfortunately for United, just so happens to be playing well for Roma and being named in their team for the decade.
1: Ty, so we are having the debate in the office this morning of how many players United oh. need to sign. I think the caveat was we weren't so sure if it was how many they need to sign to challenge for the top four how many they need to sign to challenge for the league, but United need to start at the bottom of that ladder, really, and they need to get in the top four before yeah. they can start dreaming of a league title. How many players do you think this current United side need if they are to become a top four certainty for a
0: top four squad I would say they need six, seven to, to round off that squad for, for top four what positions are we saying? Um, basically every position um, other, than, other than goalkeeper <laughs> other than goalkeeper um, and that's probably dependent on Dean Henderson coming back and, and challenging for number one I think the fact Romero didn't start last night is pretty obvious indication that he's never going to challenge De Gea who did actually have a good game last night Um I mean, they need, maybe not centre-half, but, I mean, possibly. Like I said, They've got a lot of center half, but they've got a lot of mediocrity there. Midfield, they're absolutely desperate. They need two or three midfielders. They need a right-winger. They need another centre-forward. Um, they need another left-back. And then, beyond that, you're looking at, at squad depth. Is is Dalo a suitable backup for Wamba If so, that's fine. I would think there's potentially doubts there. I'm not sure he's really kicked on at United. Um so I think, you know, in squad wise, maybe six two two forwards, including a right winger in that, three midfielders, a left back, might get you into a, a top four squad. I mean in terms of a title challenge, I think we were saying before you're looking at probably fifteen on to start. You? A new club. To st- yeah. <laughs> Just <laughs> read. Delete club, as they say on FIFA. Just start a new game, lads, I think would be yeah. the, uh, yeah. the easiest way so to f- go about football that. Yeah. Close, close the tab. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Re- reload Play this game again. Play last night's game again and start <laughs> Matic. Um, but I, I, you don't have any confidence that that they're going to do that. I mean, I have some sympathy with their stance in January, and it is a, a difficult market to operate in. Yeah, It's a market where the desperate operate in. The desperate and the disenfranchised, but United are desperate. And they've landed themselves in this position. You know, they, they, they spoke glowingly about the work they did in the summer, and yet all three players have added to the squad. But to believe three players was ever enough is just laughable. You Especially know. when you bring
1: one in as a squad player like
0: Daniel James. Yeah, you're
1: not expecting him to be a first team exactly. Over relied yeah. on already. Uh,
0: hmm. uh, Lukaku going and not being replaced is not great. I don't think it's the worst issue. The fact that Fellaini, Fellaini left a year ago and still not been replaced. Herrera left and was not replaced when it was obvious. Even with those two, there, midfield was a major issue. You know, that, I mean, that's just being asleep on the job. It's just, it's just so bizarre. obvious, isn't it? I yeah. that's, that's the problem. The, if, if they don't sign anyone in this window, we're going to be talking about three transfer windows now where it's obviously squads are need of a rebuild and they've signed three players. In the first three transfer windows at City under Pep Guardiola, they signed 12 players for £15 million or more. In his second season, they won the league with 100 points. You know, It shows how quickly things can change if you've got people in place doing the right business, doing it efficiently, working as one. Guardiola knows he's got a director of football with possibly the best contacts book in the game. He's got directors who can sign the cheques quickly that trust his judgement. Bernardo is a perfect example. He wanted Bernardo. He was signed by the 26th of May. It took United most of the summer to sign Harry Maguire last year. And they're not going to sign their key targets this year because English club... It's hard to do deal with English clubs anyway because no Premier League club has any pressure to sell a player because they're they're all swimming in cash. So... Leicester have got no pressure to sell James Madison, so why on earth would they sell him now? They might sell yeah. him in the summer for a vastly inflated fee, but they're never going to sell him now. So, you know, it, it, it's a nice idea to buy young British players, but it's going to cost you a fortune and they're going to be difficult deals to do. So, y- you know, you've got to be prepared to, to look abroad as well. And if, if United have another summer, if they don't sign anyone this window, they've got to be looking to sign at least six players in the summer. I mean, I've got no confidence that I'll sign six players in the summer. And the more this goes on... whether the signing laps, they'll be scouting
1: 2,400 players. <laughs> <hours. Yeah. laughs> <laughs> but the
0: longer, the longer this goes on, whether signing three players in three windows and the squad needs a rebuild, the further they're falling behind, the likes of City and Liverpool, yeah. who are doing efficient business. Who will be buying players oh, yeah. themselves. Yeah, the the, it's, just getting, it's just delaying the rebuild. They're going from potentially being there in two years to being there in three years, four years, five years. United you know, accept they get screwed in the transfer
2: market. I mean, it's been obvious to everyone, but they are they are aware of it. I mean, even someone like James, he was going to Leeds for 7 million and then United take an interest and it's 15 million up to 18 million. It's still chicken feed from, from United's perspective. But um, in, in recent years, certainly the 2018 summer window, it felt like they'd come full circle there from the Moy summer, whereby it was just so, so abysmal and so unfulfilling. And, how amateurish and desperate they were. It, it had shades of that 2013 window. You come to this summer, and Ty's right, they do need a minimum of six players, and suddenly they have come full circle to the Louis van Gaal era, because he got six players in, in his summer, and he wanted to get rid of a load of players, which is what he did. And United felt as though the, the, the player turnover was too great there. Woodward said it on a conference call um, that they would resist the churn of, of Van Gaal's era. But they do need to do that. They do need a left-back. I do think they need a centre-back, purely because there are probably two or three there who need to be got shot of. They need two midfielders. Uh, they certainly need a playmaker, and they need a, a forward, i.e. someone who can play on the left or the right or through the middle. Someone, I mean, you know, Sancho is a player who who obviously appeals and then there's an argument that they probably need another goal scorer unless you are happy to hang your hats on Greenwood, Marshall and Rashford. And I think that's, that's reasonably fair. If they have better service for midfield, yes, get ex- more goals. Absolutely. Um, although there are a lot of people who'd say, you know, Marshall turns it on and off when, when he wants to. And when you factor in the players who could go or should go, I think that's, that's a fair amount. Pogba wants to go, let him go, get rid of Lingard. Uh, Jones has to go. Rojo has to go by realistically won't go this year you can't get rid of three centre-backs in one summer I think two is probably at your abs- absolute limit I suppose Chris Smalling has got a future at United next, se- next season by virtue of how abysmally every just about every centre-back has performed this season Matic might be released I think that's you know, that's that's fair enough if you get two midfielders in okay um, so so that turnover isn't that bad and you're getting a big fee for Pogba as well and you've just got to make sure you recruit really really well I don't think Pogba can be replaced by a young up-and-coming British midfielder because I don't think there's one who as 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 inconsistent as he can be is is fit to Lacey's boots I'm sure Don Booth would say Harry Winks is but (laughs) he isn't um Declan Rice Declan Rice would fulfil a role in that United squad but not as a Paul Pogba replacement as a Matic replacement he would but they need someone with with greater clout to come in and offset the, the absence of Pogba I don't know anyone who springs to mind um, in terms of playmaker obviously Madison and Grealish are two players who would walk into that United team Donny van der Beek Ajax is a player who appeals as well Sancho appeals Chilwell is a player they looked at left back they're not going to sign two marquee Leicester players in the same summer no chance so I think Madison has to take precedence there but obviously these, these things keep on changing and I suppose the added complication for United is that it's a European Championship summer and it's a Copa America summer as well so when it comes to pre-season they're not going to have all the players available to them the summers as we know working um, in the transfer window do seem to get shorter as well um, the from When the season ends to when it starts, it seems like we have you know a little bit of six weeks of downtime, but it doesn't feel like downtime until they're back in pre season. So it is going to be tough, and I suppose the most important sign United can make is come back to it again. Technical director,
1: there we go, <clears throat> as simple as that. <laughs> Tie United need a lift, Norwich at home this weekend. We said you know they, they've already blitzed Norwich once this season, mm. they've been better against the. Smaller size, shall we say, in the Premier League as of late. But this United squad does look very thin, looks very very bare at the moment. Uh, what are you expecting from Norwich at home on Saturday? Uh,
0: I think United will win. Um, Norwich, Norwich are a team that probably quite suit the way United play and that they're very open and adventurous. And Credit to them for, for doing that. They've been a good addition to the Premier League, but fundamentally they're going to get relegated because of it. Um, I, I, I think United will win. I think... I think they they might win relatively handsomely. The one as the, many as two, as many <laughs> as two. Yeah, no, I meant one nil, but I think <laughs> that's score before the eightieth minute. Really, uh, true. yeah, no, I, I think they'll win. I think they could win two nil, three nil, three one. I, I think, it, I think it,
2: N- Norwich haven't won a league game since November. Yeah, mm. which was Everton away. Sounds you, like a, Norwich away win confirmed that then. So,
0: it? Solskjaer's all, also had a great trait this season. Of every time the pressure's really mounted, he's, he's okay. picked up. You know, uh, a big a big result. Obviously beating Norwich at home is not a big result, but it would certainly blunt the knives a little bit ahead of mm-hmm. what is gonna be a pretty uh, well, difficult you, week yeah. to come. Well, so if you beat
1: Norwich and then beat Wolves at home, which I think are both doable, mm. then you've got a bit more slack when you play out. The and then you go to Anfield and you get turned over yeah. where yeah.
2: which was the last stand of the last And moment. we'll just
1: play this podcast again but replace Man City with <laughs> Liverpool yeah.
2: for every sentence <laughs> if you want. Uh
1: some you, you agree United win this weekend?
2: I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't win, but as as Ty said, um, the way Norwich play is it's just kind of like it's even United can beat them. Yeah, I I'm, I'm trying to think of an appropriate word that isn't going to offend people, but it it really is just it's it's just asking for relegation. The way Norwich play, they didn't obviously recruit particularly aggressively in the summer. They play quite open football. When United went to Carrow Road in October, you just thought, as as much of a banana skin as it looked, you thought, well, if United just turn up and play well, they should win. And really, that, that result should be the benchmark for United in that they took on one of the fodder and they took them to the cleaners. They should have won by a much greater margin than than 3-1. They played really well and it was quite an uplifting result at the time as well. There was that mini-sequence of wins they had, I think, Belgrade, Norwich and Chelsea and then they lost to Bournemouth who are probably in the bottom three at the moment so I, I, w- I would if i had to predict i'd probably say a united win for for the weekend but i'm not expecting sparkling scintillating football um, i think you know it's, it's the atmosphere around the club after last night is is quite toxic and the boos at half time the boos at full time in fairness to a lot of the supporters, particularly those in the, the singing section by the Stretford end, um, they were they were singing um, at half time and full time. There a lot of people did still applaud Solskjaer and the players as they went off, but a lot of play sorry, not a lot of players, a lot of fans had vacated their seats long before the final whistle as well. Um, it, it wasn't too dissimilar to Tottenham at home last season when Mourinho was just stood applauding the fans, trying to, you know, Create a sense of defiance, but you couldn't ignore the fact that a lot of the seats were vacant at that point. Uh, I don't think fans will ever turn against Solskjaer because he is a he is a club legend. Um, that you can't you can't look past what he did as a player. Uh, he was he was a phenomenal signing, and he he scored the treble clinching goal. I don't think they'll ever get to a point where he would be abused or booed like like Van Gaal was booed uh, a couple of times. But I also think those United supporters who do support him at the game and do applaud him at the game, a lot of them probably think he is out of his depth and he's not the solution. Mm -hmm. Probably a blessing it's not on TV this weekend.
1: You can follow it all on the OEM though in our blog. Samuel, Tyrone, thank you very much for joining us today on the Manchester. Thank you. Thank you, pleasure. Manchester is just about red podcast it's going to be this week. (laughs) Uh, We'll be back again next week to analyse what happened against Norwich and preview that game against Wolves thank you very much for listening please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already